We are, as I said, going to talk about Yom Teruah tonight. Yom Day, Teruah, the, the blowing of the trumpets. And uh, going to be looking at Nehemiah a lot tonight because the book of Nehemiah was written at this time. And uh, uh, Logan and Katie sent a message from uh, Steve Berkson entitled, The King is Coming, and would encourage you to maybe go and listen to that as well. While I might be a little uncomfortable with clarifications on some of the things that he said, I think the main point is very good and would, I think, be challenging for a lot of us. And uh, we'll share a couple of things from that as well tonight. But last night, as I said, it, it kicked off this feast, the fall festivals. There are three fall festivals here. There are four in the spring, three in the fall, which is kind of interesting, the patterns that we see that we saw in Revelation, the four and the three there were four that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming, three that he will fulfill in the second coming. And one of the things, as I mentioned here with Jamie Walden's testimony and the miraculous healing that his son had, that just kind of impressed upon me was this. God will test us. You know, we get into this thing where we pray for people who are sick. We, we pray when we need something. We pray when, you know, we want to change something, whatever the case might be. But oftentimes God is going to take you to the end, to the brink, before you see the deliverance take place. Not because he's a cruel God, but because he's testing us. And that is the exact pattern that is seen over and over and over in Scripture. Whether it be the Exodus, that God delivered them, you have the Passover, you have all the miracles, you have deliverance out of slavery, out of Egypt, away from the devil, away from the, the picture of the Antichrist. And then it's like, yeah, and what? No water? For three days, they had no water. They began to grumble. They began to complain. They failed the test. He provides. And then they go to Mount Sinai. All excited. And then the thunder rolls. And then they get to the promised land. And the giants are there. And they fail the test. Mount Sinai and what? The giving of the law, wasn't that also on this day? Yeah, yep. The giving of the law was at Mount Sinai, yeah. No, but wasn't it on this day? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, the giving of the law actually was Pentecost, not not uh, trumpets, but uh, the spring festival is when the law was given. Yeah. Now, what's fascinating to me, though, is that I was thinking about that at Jamie Walden, they were weeping, they were crying, they were getting ready to take their boy to the hospital again and fly him out to Denver. They're at the brink. They, they, they have nothing else that they can do, no power within themselves. And I believe that that is also part of this time of year. We can go, yay! But I want to tell you something, it's not going to be easy. That I think we are going to be tested and taken to the very brink before we see God move in powerful ways. Now, don't get me wrong. God is moving powerfully every single day. But I think all of us are going to be tested 
Some of us may be being tested right now in certain things of life. How are we going to fare trusting the Lord? That is part of what we need to look at here today. Now, this festival is called Rosh Hashanah. If you go to Israel today and you said Yom Teruah, very few people would know what you're even talking about, believe it or not. It's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh is the word for head, ha, the, shana, uh, year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And so for them, this is the new year. This is January 1. For most. Now, yeah, they see it as, I believe, the birthday of the world and different things like that as well, but it's the head of the year. Now, part of the reason I've heard a couple of different things. Some think that actually came out of Babylon. Others say that it comes from perhaps Leviticus or Exodus 25. I can't remember exactly what the verse is, but God says basically that this month is now to be the first of your year. I think it's in Exodus he talks about the month. Nisan 1 is the first month of your year. And then later he says, Tishri, which is this month, the seventh month, is to be the first of your year. The first, it was a time of coronation of kings. And so when a king would be elected, just like when we have a president elected, he's not really president, there isn't until he's inaugurated later. The same thing would happen oftentimes here. It was, they would wait until this time to inaugurate and coronate a king that would become king in Israel. And so oftentimes the, the measuring of their rule began on this time. Whatever it is, I think that there is some biblical you know, support for this month being the head of the year. But we know that Nisan, April, March, or March or April, around Passover, that is actually the first month of the year, biblically. So there's some weird things that go there. I don't understand all of it. Honestly, I don't think anybody does. I don't even think the Jews quite grasp it. But that's why it's called Rosh Hashanah. But the Bible doesn't ever call it Rosh Hashanah. The Bible talks about it being the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, the day of, of shouting, the day of blowing, the day of the trumpets. And so that's what I like to call it rather than Rosh Hashanah. Um, interestingly, we do not see it being called Rosh Hashanah until 200 AD. And it is found in the Talmud at that point. So while there may be some biblical connection there with Tishri, it's not the head of the year that I can see. But 200 A.D. is the first that that is uh, seen. Some believe that it is a cover-up to hide the real identity of and purpose of this festival, and that is the Messiah's return. Um, looking for the redemption to come. I don't know. I don't know if it's an intentional cover-up or not, but certainly I think the devil has used it to make it more of a secular thing rather than what it is intended to be, and that is celebrating the king's return. Um, trumpets have always been a picture of God coming down or showing up to fight. When there was a great battle to fight, the trumpets were blown. I believe that when the trumpets blow, as I said, that's not the end of it. This is the beginning. And what we're doing is it's a call for the Lord to come down and he's going to now have to fight for you because you will not have the strength to fight. Well, it began at the new moon, the sliver, very sliver of the new moon coming. And it is for this reason that sometimes it was kind of a little bit questionable that people uh, in different parts that they, they celebrate it for two days to cover their bases ultimately. 
and it was the chief priest who had the job of going up to the rooster crow, the pinnacle of the temple, and we have found in archaeology, as I've talked about before, the actual blowing of the trumpet, they believe the spot where they would blow this trumpet to announce these festivals. And so when Peter talked about the rooster crowing three times, it probably was not an animal, but actually this trumpet blow. And we've talked about other reasons why that's probably the case. But anyway, when the chief priest would see the sliver of the moon, he would blow that trumpet and people that were out in the fields working or whatever they were doing, they would drop it and stop right then. And they would all then go and gather together. Well, that's what's going to happen in the end. There's going to be a trumpet blown and God is going to gather us together. We talked about that in the book of Revelation, probably, you know, to Jerusalem. Um, but they wanted everybody to know the festival has started. You might have lived in the Galilee. You couldn't hear the trumpet blow. <coughs> Some have said they had people with flames waiting because they knew about the time that it would come. And when the priest would blow, they'd light this fire and then somebody way up on the hill could see it and then they would do it and then somebody way up on the next hill could see it so that they could pass the word along. Yeah, the, the old telephone but they wanted to get the message to the four corners of the earth. Yeah. Well, they would say, Yom Teruah is here. And if you were in the Galilee, it, it could be midnight before you, you know, would hear that trumpet blow. Once the message went on, they would blow the trumpets in their towns and whatnot. But, Bottom line is, it's interesting that it would go out to the four corners, just like we saw in Revelation. We see in the parables, you know, the last hour, all of it talking about the Lord's return. The other thing uh, that I was saying, this other message that you should listen to, is that we often focus on the fact that we are expecting Him. We celebrate. It's like, yeah, the Lord's coming back. Yes, yes, yeah, blow the trumpets. But the question is, are you ready for him to come? So I encourage you to listen to that message because we know what we're expecting from him, he says, but do you know what he's expecting from you? Those are two different things. Are you ready to meet those expectations? You know, in Exodus 19.5, he says, if you obey my commands, he says, then you will be, a, to me, a treasured possession. Obedience is always associated with the faith. We've talked about this many times here. Faith without works is dead. He expects us to do what he tells us to do. And if you're not doing your part, you may think that you're a convert. You may think that you're a Christian, but maybe you're not. Because when God makes a covenant with us, a covenant takes two parties. I think that we have done a good job in Christianity making a covenant one-sided. Well, Jesus died for me. All right, now I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. I'm not going to lay down my life. I'm going to you know, get my bank account. Yet, it's interesting that I want to be clear. I'm not just saying that you can earn your, your salvation. You can't. But remember that rich young ruler that Jesus went to? And he says, what must I do to be saved? And he said, you know, he goes through the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all of these since my youth. He says, good. Now go sell all you have. Come follow me. And the guy goes away sad. So when I say doing what God said to do, I'm not just talking about keeping the commandments of God. Because even the rich young ruler kept the commandments of God, but he wasn't getting there yet. Why? 
because he had another God in his heart. Money. This is what I mean. Are you ready for him to come back? We can get all excited, but maybe first we ought to go through a testing to purify, to remove the dross, to examine ourselves, to say, you know, maybe I've made this covenant one-sided. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, there's another expectation, and I actually had this in here even before I listened to this message, and I, it's one of my memory verses that I, I love so much, and it says, now, what do you expect from us, God, is how it starts out ultimately. And he says, this is what you're to do. You are to fear the Lord your God, to love him, to, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's a reason that that order is there. Hear, O God, hear, O Lord, what do you want from us? What do you expect from us? And God's answer is, fear me. Fear me comes first. And then it says, walk in all my ways. Fear the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways. To love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart. If you do not fear God above all, you will never walk in his ways. You're not going to serve him. You're not loving him. But you need to fear the Lord your God. And that is why I think in part that this festival of trumpets, before we get into it, we need to be reminded that we should have a healthy fear of God. What do you require of us? And God answers, Fear the Lord your God. Go read that in Deuteronomy 10, 12. Because many want to serve Him. They want to teach Bible study. They want to go out and evangelize. They want to help in the church in whatever way. You know, I want to clean tables. I want to do whatever. We want to serve. However, they don't have any fear of God and they're not obeying God. There's a, what's that? Nobody wants to be Jeremiah. Nobody wants to be Jeremiah. Yep. Nobody wants to give it all up. You see, it's one thing to serve God, but it's another to serve Him the way He wants to be served and to have a clean heart to be ready to serve. So once again, I ask, are you ready for Him? Now, I know I'm walking a very thin line here when it comes to you know, things that we do. But I believe that line of salvation is a thin line. Yeah, there you go. Maybe a narrow road. Broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way to eternal life. Okay? Few will find it. I forget the address, but it says in the New Testament, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved... What? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter 4, 18 and 19. Thank you. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved. We have made salvation such an easy, non-committed, one-covenantal side issue. Let me tell you, Jesus did not make it that way in his word. Oh, yes, he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and so on. Yes, but he also says a tree will be judged by its fruit. If you do not obey me, you do not love me. This is how you will know if you love me, those who keep my commandments. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, probably 50 New Testament verses even post-cross verses that tell us we have to hold up our end of the bargain. You can't save yourself, but you are not saved if you're not holding up your end of the bargain. 
And you can't go do your end of the bargain to get saved. You have to hold up your end of the bargain because it's who you are. It's because God has made a change in your life and in your heart so that you have a desire for his commandments, a desire to obey, not a justification to sweep them under the rug, not a justification to for cheap grace, but a desire to obey. Do you have that? If not, are you ready for his return? Maybe it's good that he doesn't come back yet. I don't know. We all have to ask ourselves that question. Let's get started here. Nehemiah 8, verse 1. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> get started. thought you were about to close. Yeah. Well, Nehemiah 8, 1. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. The water gate's important here. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, that was yesterday, the beginning of Yom Teruah, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So, this is taking place at the time of Yom Teruah all the way through the Feast of Tabernacles. This book of Nehemiah. Notice he gathers the people to the main area through the water gate. How did they do that? I'll bet it was with a trumpet call. And they read from sunrise to midday. I guarantee you I wouldn't have a Bible study if that's what I did. <laughs> they internalized it. And they're going to start to weep, as you're, you will see here in a moment. But the main point is the word is going to be read. And it says this multiple times that they understood and those who could understand and things like that. I think that we can go to church in the Word. I don't think it's people like, oh, okay, well, they're 13 years old. They can understand what I'm saying. I think it's talking about an understanding in the heart what is being said, not just an understanding of the words, but a conviction of the heart. Because they are going to be convicted of their sin, and that is what this festival really is supposed to do. It's to lead us to repentance. Because after this, the day of judgment is coming. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur. You see, these festivals are for your benefit, not for his. God doesn't need us to do these festivals. He gave them to you for your benefit, just like the Sabbath. God doesn't need you to honor the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not... You know, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you, for your benefit, for you to, to be blessed by it, for you to, to stay on track, for you to be able to know God more. It's the same as this. Sometimes I think we have this attitude that, hey, it's the Feast of Trumps. Yeah, the Lord's coming back, and, and we're doing this because we're doing it for you, God. We're doing it for you. God says, no, 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 no. I gave you this for you. You're the one that's supposed to be getting ready. So in some ways, while yes, our eyes are to be on him, he wants you to look at yourself. Just as what was going on here with these people. This is supposed to be one of the most anticipated times of the year. And one of this, these messages that uh, Logan said, one of the things that I liked him saying is that we find so many, I mean, God tells us this is supposed to be something that you're supposed to look forward to. But we can find every excuse not to celebrate them. He was talking about people say, well, I only got two weeks of vacation a year, so I can't do that. He said, oh, perfect. That works out well. <laughs> you know, you got your spring, you got your fall. But we prioritize everything else over these things. And, 
he describes them as a date. He said, you know, if you and your wife had a date or a girlfriend, I mean, you're counting down the hours. Do you remember those days? When you, you had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and, and you had a date coming, and, and you were all excited, and you did, oh man, another hour, and you're spending hours, and you're getting ready, and you're excited. And here God has made an appointment. That's what a moed is. A moedim of the Lord, the im is the plural. A moed is an appointed time, a date that God has set with you. And God wants you to be excited for you to meet with him. And so we should be looking forward to these things. In verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. The first pulpit right here. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. A respect for the word of God. You know, sometimes we can make fun of that in churches because, oh, it's just tradition or whatever. No, they did it back then. That's a respect and an honoring of the word of God being read. All the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen, it is, it is true, it, so shall it be. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I've said this before, but I often use the term worship wrong as well. We don't worship before, we praise God. Worship, go look at it, every time in the Bible they bow down, they're falling down. There's a humility, a repentance, a a surrender in worship. Praise is what we do. When the word was read and they understood it, it caused them to worship, to bow down on their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. I'm not going to go into the New Testament tonight. If you recall last week's or last year's teaching, I went through how Jesus does this very exact thing on the very exact festival. When we read John 7 and 8 in the New Testament, it is the Feast of Tabernacles or, uh, and, uh, and trumpets when he is saying that he's the living waters, when he is reading the word and explaining it to them, giving a clear meaning. Moses says this, or, or you know, uh, these guys say this, what do you say? And Jesus says, this is what it means. Giving a clear understanding of the word. That's what Ezra was doing here. They're reading the law, and the people are understanding it. They get what it means, and they get they have not been following the word of God. They've been breaking God's commands. I need to worship God. I need to bow down. I need to confess. I need to repent. Woe is me. And that's how they start. You know, we talked about it was at Mount Sinai that, you know, Pentecost is when that was, but trumpets were blown at Mount Sinai as well. And trumpets are a memorial of that. The Feast of Trumpets brings people's minds back to the law, to the Ten Commandments. And as I said, ten days from now will be Yom Kippur, which is all about restoration, judgment day, reconciliation, or damnation to eternal hell. One of those. Depending on what side you're on. But not until that happens do we actually get to dwell with God in our sukkahs at Sukkot. God wants you to be prepared and to understand his word. He wants you to know it in your heart. He wants you to understand what it means. Because there's a lot of churches preaching the word of God out there, but they have no clue what it means. Taking it out of context. Yeah, that we don't know Jesus very well because we don't know the word. And I'll tell you what, ever since I began to study this from more of a, a Jewish perspective of scriptures, I didn't understand the word either. I didn't know why Jesus was doing what he did. I didn't understand why he says, don't touch me to Mary. I didn't understand why he's saying, you know, I am the light of the world. If you thirst, come to me. I mean, what, is he just a great poet? 
No, he was fulfilling these festivals. It was the law of God that helped me know God more. But I think modern Christianity has made our relationship with Jesus one without expectations. That is not a relationship. Even in a marriage, okay, she, my wife has expectations for me and I have expectations from her. We don't always meet them. Usually causes problems when we don't. Any covenantal relationship, there's expectations from both sides. Let me tell you, yours is not just to say, yep, I want you in my life. I love you, Jesus. Okay, I'm done. I called on the name of Jesus. I'm saved. No, you're not. You are not saved if you do not have a heart for the Lord. I'm not saying if you sin. Everybody does that. Jesus redeemed us. Just have to throw that in. Verse 9, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. It's like Sabbath, what we talked about. I don't care if you pray all day Monday. It doesn't make Monday holy. God made the Sabbath holy. God made today holy. This is a holy day. Because he made it so. Regardless of what you're doing on it, it's a holy day. So this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Can you imagine being there for that? How beautiful that would be. I remember vividly going out and evangelizing at the streets outside of PJ's bar and having a 300-pound football player get fall down on his knees weeping because of brokenness of his sin. That meant more to me than a thousand people at church. But seeing brokenness of sin is a beautiful thing. And that is what understanding the Word of God is supposed to do to us. Not, oh, I'm free in Christ. No guilt here. No shame here. But you're not to remain there. You're not to remain in that guilt and in that shame. But if you don't have it, there's a problem too. But he said, this day is holy. And he says, don't mourn or weep. Why? Because this is a holy day. And this is good news. This is good news for you. If you understand the word. If you understand who Yeshua is. This is a good day. In verse 10 he said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This fits so well if you were listening to the fringe today. Yeah. If you did, or did not, rather, go listen to that too. You got seven days to get these three things done. The testimony of Jamie Walden's healing. Okay. This message here that I'll mention again from the Steve, whatever his name is, and go listen to The Fringe <laughs> from today. Is that Daniel to Joseph? It is Daniel to Joseph, yes. In a nutshell version, he's going to talk about darkness and people go insane in darkness in 48 hours. But put that in the spiritual realm. If we're not walking in the light of Jesus, you're going to go insane. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are walking in darkness, just like Scripture says. And you know what they've done today? They've gone nuts. Absolutely insane. Right? But do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so this is the key to keep light even in a dark world. 
Even in our sinfulness, we have to remember the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so for those who do understand the Lord, those who do know that they've broken the commandments and we're, we're repentant and we're frustrated that we keep failing, like Paul said, the good that I want to do, I do not do, and the evil I hate, I keep on doing. Who can rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Praise the Lord. There is the joy. My joy is in his strength. It gives me strength. That's the good news for us. And that is the good news that Ezra was giving here. But do not forget to ask yourself, are you, are you weeping over your sins and shortcomings? Are you seeking to truly know him? To know God? You know, if you don't keep God's commands, as I said before, you don't really know him. The church has lied to you. You have lied to yourself. Our culture has lied to you. If you do not keep the commandments of God, I'm not saying perfectly, you can't. But if you don't have a heart for them, you have been lied to by Christianity. You do not know God. So don't believe the lie. I know that's how... Oh! Legalism, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. I guess John in the New Testament is legalism. Because I just said what Scripture said. So if it bothered you when I said it first, maybe you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know Him. Because that was Jesus. That, that is the Word of God right there. So don't be mad at me. Maybe put your theology in check. I'm fine with that. Well, I mean, but like, how would you say, how would you correlate that to Old Testament commands, not just... If you do those two, you're keeping all of those Old Testament commands. Love the Lord your God. What does God tell you to do? Okay, I love him. I'll do it. Don't always do this, but because I love my wife, there's a lot of things that I do that I don't want to do, but I do it because I love her. There's a lot of things that I don't do, and I should do. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody was going to say something. Another translation of what he was saying is, I'm a good person. Well, who defines what is good? You or God's word? That's the difference. You can say, oh, I'm a good person. To your standards, maybe, but not according to God's, if you don't think that the commandments are good. <clears throat> so that's what it all boils down to. Who gets to make the rules, you or God? You know, Jesus and the Father, he says, I and the Father are one, right? Jesus did everything the Father wanted him to do. And we're supposed to have that same relationship, Jesus and us. We are one. Well, then we should only do what Jesus tells us to do. We should imitate him. So, this verse goes on in verse 5, 1 John 2. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. If you obey, the love of God is made complete. See, love is connected to obedience to the Lord. This is how we know we are in Him. So maybe go back and ask your question. Read that in 1 John 2 and ask yourself, do you know God? Forget about everything I've said. Just go read 1 John 2, 3-5 through 5, 
and let that convict you. Let, during this season, let those words give you understanding. Understand them and bring them, cause it to, to bring you to weeping if need be. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe you, you've already done that. Great. But maybe some of you haven't. To understand the word means to obey the word. And to obey and understand means to know him. If I would summarize those verses. And then when we repent, joy comes. Joy comes because you're going to realize how awful you are. Why would anybody love you? You're awful. And then you realize, but God loves me. He's forgiven me. He's made me a saint. He's made me righteous. He's purified me. And He's going to continue to remove that dross in my life. And He is faithful to His promises. And He is coming back. And I am going to get to live with Him. And that, if you understand it, it's going to give you joy. It will give you joy. Verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood. Now they get it. I've often said, the man who loves much, loves much, as Scripture says. Okay. What did I just say? Man who loves... I was just... I was like, wait a minute. The man who has been forgiven much, loves much, is what I meant to say. I was like, wait a minute. The man who has been forgiven much, loves much. If you do not know what you've been forgiven of, you will never understand the joy of the Lord. And that is why they needed to be weeping and repenting before they could even understand the joy of the Lord. And when we have removed the law of God and we've told people, oh no, just, hey, say a prayer, you're in. There's no brokenness, there's no repentance, there's no need. And so, yeah, well, hey, thanks for you know, getting me into heaven, Lord. I, you know, I'm a pretty good person anyway, but hey, thank you. If you don't realize how awful you are, you will never know how great God is. As I said, there's 10 days to take us to the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur here. And that is a picture of Judgment Day where judgment is going to be sealed. And this is what the Jews see is that there are books that are being opened right now at this season. And at the Day of Atonement, those books are going to be shut and it is too late. It is the last hour. And if your name is not written in the Book of Life, at the end of these 10 days, it's too late. This is the final altar call. That's what we're seeing here now. Repentance starts here, not at the Day of Atonement. It's too late then. <clears throat> That's like the virgin that you know, tries to get the oil at the last hour. It's, it's too late. Going back to Deuteronomy, when you understand the fear of the Lord, <clears throat> which causes you to love Him, to obey Him, to walk in all His ways, and then to serve Him, that's when joy comes. Because, because you now know Him. Because you now understand these words. They have become one with you. It's not just a book that you read that's a nice self-help book. It has become who you are, not what you do. This Steve in this message said that if you want to serve the Lord more, there's a lot of people that want to do that. You know, like I said, evangelizing or doing whatever the case might be. But he said the biggest part 
of serving God is obeying him. Obeying his commands. And that's so much harder sometimes. It's easy to go help at the daycare in church. It's easy to go clean up the carpet or you know clean the carpet or to help somebody move or whatever compared to examining your heart and keeping his commandments. Saying God has asked me to to keep these festivals. I'm going to lose money and take a day off of work. God has asked me to honor the Sabbath. This job won't allow me to do that. I need to go find another one. That's a lot harder, isn't it, than cleaning carpets or watching kids. All these I have kept. What else do you want me to do, Lord? Hmm. Only you can answer that. Verse 13, on the second day of the month. Today in about an hour. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. Seventh month Sukkot, tabernacles and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, from myrtles, palms, shade trees, to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So they continue to read the word, and now their minds are set on Sukkot. <clears throat> we have wept, we have repented, we have confessed, but we understand the joy of the Lord. They continue to read the law, and they continue to find hope. They continue to find joy. <clears throat> and now they have a heart to obey God. Let's go do what God told us to do. Let's get ready. This is on the second day. Today, pretty much. They're already now thinking ahead for Sukkot. Because they understand they understand the word. Let me tell you, if you understand the word, you should have an anticipation because there's a date being set. You've got a date with your bridegroom. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and their courtyards and the courts of their houses of God and in the square by the water gate again and the one by the gate of Ephraim day after day from the first day to the last. Ezra read from the book of the law of God. Every day reading from God's word. They celebrated the festival for seven days. So from the first to the last, we were on the second day, which is the second of Tishri, and now they're celebrating a festival for seven days. We have now jumped all the way to the 21st, or 24th, 24th of the month in Nehemiah. So there was a big break from the second day to here. We just covered a couple of weeks of time because... Trumpets is not a seven-day festival. Day of Atonement is not a seven-day festival. Trumpets, Sukkot, Tabernacles, is a seven-day festival. So that's what we know what's being talked about here. And on the eighth day, because you have an eighth day added on to it, it's the, great, the, the greatest day of the, of the feast. In accordance with the regulation there was an assembly. It is on this last and greatest day of the feast that Jesus, I believe it's John 8, says, I am the living waters. Whoever comes to me will never thirst again. It is on this day, this eighth 
day that as tradition was, the high priest would go out to one of the pools to get water, I think the pool of Siloam to get the water, bring it back through the water gate, take it to the temple and would pour out the water on the stairs of the temple, water and wine would be poured out. And they called it the living water. And Jesus, while the priests are doing this ritual rehearsal, is saying, I'm the one. I'm the living waters that give life. They saw it, or to, you know, in Jesus' day, they saw it as asking God for a production, uh, productive year for rains and blessings. Jesus said, I'm the blessing. And it's on this day that Jesus does that. Again, go back and listen to the message that I did last year for Sukkot. And you will see how Jesus fulfills this festival to a T. And if you recall, there's a reason that the woman caught in adultery was brought to him on this festival as well. All of those things you can't understand without understanding the festivals. Well, that finishes that chapter, gets into chapter 9, verse 1. I'm just going to go through a couple of things quickly. On the 24th day of the same month, that's the last day of the festival, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Wow. From here out, throughout this chapter, they confess their sins, giving a history of Israel's defiance against God, despite all of God's blessings that he pours out upon them. That's what they keep doing. God, you did this, and yet we still turned our backs on you. I think we could do that. We could spend a quarter of our day doing that, of the sins of America, the blessings, the opportunities he's given us to, to repent, and yet we do for a few hours or a few days, maybe a couple of months, and then we're right back to our old selves again, chasing after the world. The same cycle that the judges did. Oh, God, help us. All right, here I go. He comes and rescues. Oh, God, you're so great. Let's follow. Let's obey. And then a few months, a few years later, they're right back at it. Yeah, we won't even say we obey. But that's what we see in the rest of this chapter. You can go and read it later. They separated themselves. In other words... The ungodly and the godly weren't associating anymore. By the way, that's a picture of end times as well. God is going to separate the sheep and the goats. He's going to bring you and put you in the hoopah of Jerusalem while the rest of the world is outside. There's that picture. What separates us from the world? Do people know you're a Christian? Are you, do you blend in in this world well enough? Or are you saying, no, I'm separate. I am done. I am going to separate myself. This world is going to know we're different. What separates us ultimately is this, keeping the word of God versus not keeping the word of God. Having a relationship with Jesus versus not having a relationship with Jesus. Even in the churches today, there is very little separation. But that's the result of understanding the word of God, to separate themselves from all foreigners. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, if anyone calls himself a brother, a Christian, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an adulterer, or a whole list of sins, it says, with such a man, do not even eat. I don't care if he's your brother. Your brother. I don't care if it's your sister. I don't care if it's your daughter. I don't care if it's your son. It's the word of God. Now again, we do it in love. It won't 
come across as love, but they separated themselves. If anyone loves father or mother more than me, he is not worthy of me. Now I know that that alone, this statement that I've just said alone, could be a whole Bible study in itself. But ponder that a bit. Then it jumps to chapter 10, verse 29. All these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, a servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. At the end of all of this, this is what they do. Guys, let's gather together and we're going to make an oath. We're going to renew the covenant. God has promised to us, so now I promise to you, God. I promise to obey. Now, they will fail. You will too. But I promise, I have a heart. I have a desire. I want to obey these commands, God. That's my prayer for you guys as we start this season. That you have a heart say, God, this year I am going to follow you. I am going to keep your commands. And by the way, notice to follow the law of God. It didn't say the law of Moses. The law of God. Moses didn't give the law. He was just, well, reiterating what God said. What's that? It literally through Moses. That's what I meant. Moses didn't write or... It wasn't his idea. It's God's laws given through Moses. Thank you. But can you see, as you go through this entire book of Nehemiah, can you see that this is about this festival, and what is the theme? Obedience. So, a desire for obedience. A brokenness of the heart. What a terrible thing to celebrate, huh? Yeah. Do you love me with all your heart? Then prove it. Then prove it. One of the things this guy said on uh, the message Logan sent, he says, people come and say, I've got an advocate with Yeshua. I've got an advocate, so it's okay. I've got, you know. But he said, what are you giving him to advocate with? At first, I didn't really like that statement, but the more I thought about it, I thought it's really true. Your life is kind of your court case coming up on Judgment Day or on the Day of Atonement. Do you really think we're going to say, oh, I didn't follow Jesus, I didn't obey anything he said, but I claim his blood. I think we call that cheap grace. I know so many people who don't set foot in church today because of the hypocrites in church. I agree with them. The churches are filled with hypocrisy. I do not want this group of this Bible study to be hypocrites. What's that? Yeah. You see, that's the message we're sending people, though. Not that, but the message where, yeah. 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 Nobody's really saying we can just claim Jesus yet live in sin, but that's the line we send. It's how it's received. But how do you know if your heart is for Jesus? Well, Jesus told you, as I said in First John, or by, by your fruit you will know them. You can't separate these two. Nowhere in the Old Testament could they claim, oh, I know Yahweh, so it's okay, I don't need to obey him. And nowhere in the New Testament does it say that either. Verse 30, we promise, they go on, not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. They're going to be separate. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. We're going to honor the days God made holy. Even if it hurts. 
Every seventh year, we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. We also assume responsibility for the bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree, basically tithing and you know, taking care of the church. And in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 27, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs and thanksgivings and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. You know what I love about this? When everybody talks about the book of Nehemiah, what's it about? Building the walls. Yes, they did build the walls and they're dedicating it, but the whole thing is surrounded by the theme of obedience. And yet somehow that's been forgotten. Because this is at the time of the Feast of Sukkot, we know that God brings a hoopah, his own little sukkah for us, to protect us as we saw in the book of Revelation. That's the wall of protection. I don't think it's an accident that the wall is being talked about in connection with this festival either. Because God is that wall of protection in the future. And this is a ceremony they did in Jesus' day, as I said, bringing water from the pool, you know, pouring it out on the steps at the water gate. And here it says in verse 37, at the fountain gate they continued directly up the steps of the city of David to the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The exact same path that is described here is the path that they were doing when Jesus is proclaiming the message of hope in John 8 and 9. So, are you ready for the king's return? Oh, yeah, he's coming, whether you're ready or not. But are you ready? On this day in Israel, you will hear people saying this all the time, Gamar Hatimah Tova. It's just a phrase that they'll say, may you be inscribed in the book of life for good, is ultimately what it means. May you be written in the good book. Because remember, they see that on trumpets, you've got 10 days where books are being opened. And in 10 days, those are going to be closed. May you have your name written in the book of life. And the only way that's going to happen is if you have a relationship with Yeshua. And the only way you're going to know if you have a relationship with Yeshua is if you examine your heart. Go read 1 John 2 and see if you know Yeshua. Yom Kippur is going to be one of the only days in Israel where they're instructed to be sheltered in place. Stay in your home. Day of Atonement. Judgment Day. Remember in Revelation, go hide yourselves for a little while until the wrath of the Lord has passed. Yom Kippur, you're not making a pilgrimage. You're not bringing anything to the temple. You're not doing anything. You can't do anything. You can't even make the offering. Only the high priest could do that. Sounds like Jesus. You can't do anything to get yourself saved. You can only trust in Him. Trust in His promises. Trust in His Son, Yeshua, in His saving grace. And when you understand that and know how much you've been forgiven, you can't help but obey. This day is not about us. We don't atone for anything. Jesus is our atonement. So, check your hearts. They started out with a somber weeping, but they ended with joy. 
Sukkot should be a, a time of joy for us. We can look at this judgment day as a scary thing, but the rabbis record it's the best and most joyous day of the year when the priest came out of the temple making that sacrifice. You would think judgment day, but yeah, because they knew their sins had been atoned for by God. So the day of atonement for us should be one of the most joyous days <clears throat> knowing Yeshua has paid for our sins. And when the sun goes down on Yom Kippur, it's time to go make your sukkahs. And I find it funny that even in rabbinic literature, they expect the Messiah to come back at this time. I believe he will during this season is when Yeshua will come back. You do not know the day or the hour, but you do know the times and the seasons. This is the season that God has written and preserved in his word. And I think we should know it even more because of that. Whether you believe he's coming back on this day or not is really irrelevant. <clears throat> because the point is that this is his story. This is how he has chosen to tell us about his salvation. How he has told us about his return. So whether he comes on this time or not doesn't matter. This is how he chose to tell you about his return. So you want to know what it's like? Study this more. Dive in. And let's celebrate together as a community and a body of believers with joy and loving one another as Christ loved us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for... Your word again, man, it is just so humbling to see that the word convicted these people. When sometimes I read these things and all I can think about is, oh man, that sounds like a miserable day to have to stand there all day, even in the rain and listen to the word of God just being read. And yet that's what caused these people to weep and mourn and fall on their faces to worship you. God, give us an understanding of the word so that it isn't boring. It isn't something that seems negative, but that it's something that we desire. Day after day after day, they did it and they only found joy and comfort in it. God, as we go to your word, as we wake up in the morning, let us have a thirst for those living waters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.